Well, good morning, Oakwood. Great, great time of worship today and uh, exciting to have the uh, uh, baptism there. And uh, it's, it's, that's, that was a really special moment. And uh, glad that we all got to be a part of that as a church family. And some people ask sometimes, do you have to get baptized on a Sunday morning? Well, no, you get baptized whenever you need to be baptized, but it's fun to share it with the church family, isn't it? Um, so uh, glad to celebrate those times. We've been in a series for several weeks, had a little bit of break with some guest speakers, uh, uh, but we're going to complete this series today called He Speaks Deep, where we're talking about uh, Jesus Christ and some of the things that he said that was just some deep things. Some of these were conversations, some of these uh, were teachings, but sometimes when Jesus, as the Son of God, spoke, he said something in a way, and you're just like, whoa, like you really needed to consider, you really needed to listen up to see what he was saying to hang on his every word. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from John uh, chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, uh, you can do that. Um, also, if you uh, have the Oakwood app, you can uh, go to sermon notes and all the scripture and all the bullet points will be there for you as we look at this text together in John uh, chapter 15. Just to kind of get us back into this, because I know it's been a few weeks, and in week one of this series, we talked about how we're to love our enemies and we're supposed to forgive them as the Lord God forgives us. Um, one of those things, it's deep, it's, it's, it's maybe easy to understand deep in its application. In week two, we talked about how we're not to worry. And Jesus said, do not worry. And we found out if we have the right priorities in life, it leads to less worry because we become more concerned with eternal matters than temporary physical matters. In week three, we explored the cost of discipleship. And we looked at uh, Luke 9, 23, uh, where it says, if, uh, where Jesus said, if anyone should come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and and man, when he said, take up your cross, you know, take up your crucifixion device, you know, and what does that mean exactly? And we looked at the cost of discipleship in Luke uh, chapter 14. And then in week four, we saw how Jesus teached and modeled servanthood. He said, you know, as we look out and we see the world's priorities and the world saying, hey, one up, you know, get, get to the top as fast as you can. And, and, and the disciples were, if you remember, were quarreling over who's going to sit the right hand and the, the left hand of Jesus. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, hey, not so with you. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We ended that message in John chapter 13 in a place that, uh, if you're familiar with scripture, uh, is called the Upper Room Discourse. And in John chapter 13, uh, that chapter in, in the Upper Room with his disciples the night before uh, Jesus is to be executed, he is there with the disciples and he washes the disciples' feet. And that's where we left it last time. Now, if you can go back to that place with me this morning, in John 15, they're still in the Upper Room. And basically in, in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, then Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is beautiful uh, dialogue here that we get to read in John's gospel about what happened in the upper room. What was Jesus saying to the disciples? And you have to think, because of what's going to happen to Jesus, he's preparing the disciples. He, he's, he's, he's readying them for what is about to happen as he's crucified just within hours, you get to this place and you understand the seriousness of the situation. And you have to imagine if you're a, <clears throat> a disciple and a follower of Jesus, 
and you're one of his best friends, <clears throat> excuse me, and, he, and you've been doing this for years, that you get to John 15 here and you're hanging on his every word. And then we begin to read John 15 and, and you're like, Jesus, are you giving gardening advice to the disciples? Like, is this, <laughs> what, what does this mean exactly? Well, let's, let's read the, the text together. Uh, John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown out and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Gardening advice, right? <laughs> A lot of illustrations here talking about gardening. And I want us to understand the text to be certain of who the characters are. It starts out there in verse 1 with Jesus identifying himself. He says, I am the true vine. I'm the vine here in this story. And all this, these illustrations I'm about to give you. And my Father, capital F, the Heavenly Father, is the gardener. Then when you get down to uh, verse 5, Jesus says, again, he identifies himself. Jesus says, I am the vine. And then he talks to the disciples there in the upper room. And he says, you are the branches. You followers of Jesus, you disciples. You are the branches. And so we understand there's three parts in here. There's, there's Father God, there's Jesus and then there's the part that we play, the part that is us. First thing I want to pull out of the text this morning, and I think it's pretty evident, is that branches that bear no fruit, he cuts off. Look at the first part of verse 2. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. If there's a branch that is not bearing any fruit, then it says that the Father God cuts it off. If you go down to uh, verse 8, he talks about this a little more. And he says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you show that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? A disciple and a follower of Jesus. Now, let's make sure we understand the terms we're talking about here. Because just, this is not you know, from Scripture directly or anything. This is my definition. What is a disciple? A disciple is a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. They are all in, all the time, and they follow Jesus. 
with tremendous reckless abandon. They follow Jesus. They do what Jesus tells them to do. And when you do things like that, guess what you do? You produce and bear fruit in your life. People look at your life and they see the change. They see the power of the changed life. And this is the evidence that we call fruit in this passage. And Jesus says there in verse 2 that he cuts off every branch of me that does not bear fruit. And the whole reason he's doing this is, we read in verse 8, is because it is for his glory that we would bear much fruit. Let's look at another uh, text here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. What he's been talking about here leading up to this, the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth uh, and there in chapter 3 is that we're building our foundation on Jesus Christ. And if you remember the passage where Paul was saying it was not, you know, about Paul, it's not about Apollos, God gave the growth, it's all about God. You know, I just simply watered, you know, he fertilized, but God's the one that brought the growth. And so he say, he's telling them, build your life on the foundation of Christ Jesus. Build your life on Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, being Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, that's quite a variety of building resources there, right? Work, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Now, notice that that day there is a capital D, right, in the text? It's a capital D. What he's talking about there is the final judgment day. That day when everyone, every person will stand before Lord God Almighty and give an account of their life. And he's saying, when you're building your life on this foundation, you're building it with something, gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or, or straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. How will that work? How will the day bring it to light? Jesus, or the Apostle Paul goes further to explain it here. He says, it will be revealed with fire. Fire has this refining process to it, right? And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So you can imagine going back to that list then, if you build with gold and silver, you know, those things can withstand fire. Uh, costly stones, maybe wood. <laughs> Don't know if you want to be building with wood, refining by fire. Uh, definitely not hay or straw, okay? Just word to the wise. You know, I know it's in fall season and you got that bale sitting on your porch, okay? Don't light your torch above the hay bale on your porch, it will quickly be refined, okay? Uh, let's put it to you that way. But that's what he's saying here is it's gonna be refined by fire and, 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 and the fire will test the quality of each person's work and it's talking about the fruit that's produced in their life. If what has been built survives, the, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames, barely. You see, this fruit that he's talking about in this text is the evidence of our life. Now, let's be honest. Some of us, probably all of us, we could say, hey, I got some fruit. But is the fruit that you're producing spiritual fruit? In the text, they would say, bad fruit is no fruit at all. Bad fruit make the branch wither, cut off, thrown into the fire, and disposed of because it's not producing. But I think sometimes, maybe you can produce some fruit, and you have some bad fruit in your life. You have some bad produce in your life. And the fruit that he's talking about here is evidence of God's work in your life. It is evidence of also, the, the scripture says, the Holy Spirit's work 
in changing us and molding us and making us more like Jesus. Now, if we talk about fruit in the church, where do you got to go, right? Galatians chapter 5, right? All, all the people that, that know the text in the scripture, you know, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians 5, through 25. So let's read that. But the fruit of the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, so this is the evidence of the Holy Spirit being in your life. Now let's understand the Holy Spirit, what? Comes to us at salvation. We accept Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life, comes into our heart, and is with us and in us. Okay, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is a life that shows us love, joy, peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the sin, sinfulness in their life, with all of its passions and all of its desires. And since we live by the Spirit that is in us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, let us do and produce the things that God wants us to produce in our life through the Holy Spirit of God. And the conditions to set this up is that we would be fruit producers. And this fruit looks like love, that love would be on the increase, that we would be a more loving person. And I'm here to tell you, folks, if you've accepted Christ Jesus and you love no more or better than you did before Christ Jesus, then there's no fruit of that in your life. What, what about the next one? Love and joy. If you're not characterized by joy that is not based on the conditions of your life or the conditions of this world, but is based on your love and affection for Christ Jesus and based on your, your, you standing before a holy God that you love and adore and that you're in awe of him and so thankful and grateful. I tell you, gratefulness will change a person's heart. Gratefulness will make you joyful. And it says these are evidences. These are the fruit. Love and joy and peace a peace that surpasses understanding that will guard both your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Forbearance. For years, that word was translated in the text as patience. But the patience wasn't like, oh, I'm good at waiting on things. No, it was talking about patience with people. Do you forbear with people? Are you quick to judge them and quick to jump down their throat? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. Are you more characterized today than you were before by kindness? And goodness, that you actually pursue the good things in this world. And then faithfulness, are you faithful? Believing that you're sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Faithfulness, gentleness, a gentle and quiet spirit which is worth much in God's sight. Whoa, that the world can be a little more gentle, right? <laughs> Man, I'm just thinking that the... Uh, House and the Senate of the United States could be a little more gentle. <laughs> I mean, wow. Gentleness and self-control that you would actually have. Supernatural ability of self-control because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Evidence of the Holy Spirit of God being in and working through your life. And these... Branches, that's us, disciples, followers of Jesus. Those of you who made a decision for Jesus, this is it, this is it. Branches bear fruit. Branches that bear no fruit, he cuts off. The second thing, 
He prunes fruitful branches. He prunes. Now, when you hear the prune word, I mean, just being honest this morning, does it kind of like create like a negative thing in your mind? Like, like if I were to come and see you in the lobby today, I'm like, hey, brother, man, I can't wait to God to do some pruning in your life. Does that just kind of make you feel like, oh, like something bad's going to happen? <laughs> like, like pruning might hurt, right? Like don't prune my finger off. You know, that would be a bad thing. And when you think of pruning, a lot of times you think of what? Cutting, right? It's like, like, like you know, if you, is there any gardeners in the room? Anybody grow anything around your house? Man, we got to get some gardeners in God's church. There's like four of us. Wow. <laughs> Feed the world with the four of us, right? So maybe don't do a garden. Maybe do landscaping. Landscaping people, ever planted a tree or a bush? How about you mow your yard? Let's lower it down. Okay, there we go. Mowers, all right. Man, I thought that, that would relate well. But, no. but when you're pruning something, and you guys know of this, whether you have a, a green thumb or a brown thumb, and, but when you have something that's fruitful and healthy, it's actually good to cut on it. You know what I'm saying? It's actually good to prune it. Okay, what's interesting is the word there in the text in verse 2, where it says, while every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, so it's only the branches that bear fruit, that he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. And then Jesus says in 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That word prune and clean is actually the same root word. Okay? Pruning and cleaning is the same idea. It's like, you know, if you've ever cleaned out your flower bed, maybe you've done some pruning and some cleaning, it's the same concept. And when you're pruning something to produce more fruit, you cut it. So I, I have a uh, Japanese uh, maple uh, in my, in my uh, backyard, one of those little dwarf things. And if you cut on this branch, it's amazing how if you cut on this branch, it'll put out two or three new shoots and it'll become fuller. And sometimes when you dial it back with the pruning, you can make like the base of the tree and the inside of the tree even fuller because it puts out more. Sometimes you get this sprawly branch, and you're like, man, I don't like the shape of this. What do you do? You get out the shears, the pruning shears, and you prune the branch to what? To shape it more to what you want it to be. This is the same thing that Jesus is talking about here, about what God is doing with fruitful. Get it? It's fruitful. He's actually pruning the fruitful ones, not the dead ones. What does he do with the dead ones? Non-fruit non producing, cut off and thrown out. But for those that are fruit producing, now sometimes this pruning process hmm, takes on a lot of different characteristics. You think about this when, when God is pruning fruitful people to become more fruitful. I imagine sometimes it could, it doesn't always, but sometimes it could involve pain. It could involve heartache or hardship. It could involve uh, something that makes you uncomfortable in life. But sometimes I think that's when our best growth happens, wouldn't you say? It's when, it's when we're really uncomfortable. Sometimes I think that's what Jesus does. That's what God wants. That's what his church does, right? We're here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and if we're too comfortable, then I think maybe that's when the pruning process would come. Now, most of us would deny it. We try to run away from it. If God's trying to prune us, we're not even going to receive that from the Lord God Almighty. Or we feel like God doesn't love us when he's pruning us. But maybe it's the most loving thing that he does. Because scripture says, those that he loves, he disciplines. He prunes. So that we will bear even more fruit. That the harvest in our life will be even better. Pruning many times has a way of cleansing us too. That's why I like the fact that that word means cleanse. 
means cleaning as well, pruning and cleaning. He prunes the fruitful branches. Now, the third thing we need to understand this morning is that there are conditions for producing fruit. There are conditions for that. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do or accomplish nothing. There, there's, there's a process to this that we have to remain in contact with the vine. And if you're a planter or a gardener or, or something and you've ever done anything with seed, you understand the concept here. If you put a seed out and it doesn't have good what? Contact, right? In, in the soil, contact in the soil. If you don't put down maybe some fertilizer to help give nutrients to that plant down in the soil, you got to mix the fertilizer in, right? You can just throw it on top. I like to mix it in there a little bit. Get it below the surface a little bit. And then, and then you have to do what? You have to have some water, right? I mean, you guys know how things grow, right? And then you take some sunlight, take some light. And so you have to have all of these components. There are conditions for growth. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. There are some conditions for God to produce fruit in your life. And don't miss it. What does it say over and over and over in 4 and 5? What does it say? Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me. Stay connected to the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you're going to produce nothing good. Have you ever been in a part of your life where you felt like, man, nothing good's happening right now? I wonder if you're connected to the vine. I think it's hard to produce bad fruit when you're staying connected to the vine. But there are conditions for producing fruit. If you want to be a person that the fruit of your life reflects Christ Jesus, which should be the desire of anyone that would love Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus and, and count themselves as a disciple, a fully devoted, lifelong follower of Jesus, then we remain in him. And there are conditions for producing this fruit in our life. The next thing is if you disconnect from Jesus, you'll no longer be fruitful and you'll be disregarded. Strong words in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, Jesus says, you are like a branch that is what? It is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Don't want to be one of those branches. You've, you've seen this happen before, surely. I, I killed a branch on one of, uh, one of my trees just recently. Didn't realize I did it until I'm driving by the house, and it's one of those evergreens, um, and it just has this yellow dead part. And I was like, what is it? And I guess when I was coming by it with, with a mower sometime, I hit it, snapped it right off, and it broke. Now, it was still kind of connected a little bit, but it really wasn't connected. It was just kind of hanging there. It lost most of its connectivity to the main part of the tree because it snapped and it was dead, and it was withering. And what do you do with those dead branches? You cut them off and use them as firewood. I still have some branches in one of my big oak trees in my front yard that are still in the tree, and they have just a little bit hanging on, but it's just enough that you gotta get a saw up 25 feet to get it down. 
Anybody else? Amen. I stormed thank you Oklahoma two years ago. And so they're still there. They're ugly. I mean, beautiful oak trees. Two big branches in this one in my front yard. It's facing the house. It's on the house side. So, But uh, yeah, they're dead. And Amy's like, someday, get those down when I become a monkey and very nimble. And I'll go up there with a saw and climb out on that branch. And, you know, but then I think of Alan Seibel and some accidents <laughs> that he's had. And I think, okay, we'll have Alan come over and do it for me. That's what that. <laughs> That's right. But that branch, you know, and, and, and to saw it off because it's disconnected. And what am I going to do with it? I'm going to tear that thing up and use it as fire kindling. And that's what happens when we disconnect. When we run away from Jesus, you no longer are fruitful and you'll be disregarded. And Jesus says the branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But in verse 7, he comes back with, hey, but if... This cause and effect throughout this passage that Jesus gives us in his teaching. If you remain in me, and even my words will remain in you. The last thing is that we need to, well, we've been dancing around the whole time in this message, remain in Jesus. Some translations use the word abide for the translation of the word remain. But, but either way, remain and abide gives us this idea, catch this, of making a dwelling place, making a home. The Greek word there is meno. It is actually seven times used in this passage. There's actually a derivative in another place, so you can make the argument that there's eight times it's used in the, pack, in the passage, but most scholars would say seven, so we'll go with that. But this, this word has this idea of being and making a home and a dwelling place, okay? Do you live close to your home or do you live in your home? Do you live in? You guys actually go inside the house, you know, like on the porch, on the porch all day, all night, you know, in the, you know, out in the driveway, yeah, I make my dwelling in the drive. I'm close to home, but I, because notice throughout the text, if you read all these remains in here, what does Jesus say? Remain in, remain in, remain in. He doesn't say remain close to me. Just stay close. He doesn't say, hey, remain connected to me. Stay connected to me. Remain connected. No, he doesn't say that. Hey, stay beside me. Stay close. Stay in proximity to me. You got to be really, really close. No, he says, remain in me. And when he says that word remain, it means to make a dwelling, to make your home with Jesus. I'm going to do a little illustration here. I got this idea from men's conference from Mr. Walling a few weeks ago. There's chairs that rep represent us here. There's God, and then there's us, okay? There, there's you and me. And since the beginning of time, God has wanted a relationship with us. You understand that God created us in his image, the only part of creation that's made in his image, that God made us in his image to be in relationship with us. And in the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning, we walk in fellowship with God. Beautiful thing. Can you imagine what it would have been like to like walk with God? It's like awesome. But then what happens? We sin. And when sin enters the world, and you know the serpent told a lie and, and offered us something, you know, God's not, God's holding out on you. It's a beautiful garden. He let me name all the animals. He gave me a woman. Come on. God loves me. No, no. God's holding out on you. I'm telling you what. 
There's a whole lot more, more and better things out there in the world. Some of you have that temptation, right? Oh, there's more and better things out there. There's someone out there better than your spouse. Someone out there better, better you can make more money doing this than doing that. You know, if you just cut the corner here and steal this, you know, if you just do this, you know, there's this, this temptation and sin enters the world. And then after sin enters the world, death enters the world. And now we've got a problem. And God came in, made us, and walks with us in the garden, and yet we sin. And then we go throughout the Old Testament, right? The whole Old, Old Testament, all the rules and all the laws, God chooses a people, and he does it in Genesis 12 through this man named Abraham. And I will make you and your name great, and you'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who ever bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. God promises this to Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then we read about the rest of Abraham's family in Genesis all the way through the ends of 50. And then we get into the Exodus. And there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of stories that happen in there. But you get to Exodus and, you know, God's going to deliver the people. Why? So, so he can be close to them. They're his holy people. He's going to deliver them. He cares about them. They keep moving away and doubting. He keeps bringing them back. He does so in such a way you think, man, these people are like connected because even when they're out in the wilderness, remember, remember what happens? They leave Egypt. They're going to the promised land. They take a detour because of sin, because of doubting God and not having faith in him. And God leads them, even in the wilderness wanderings, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, because he loves them. He gives them the tabernacle. He gives them the whole sacrificial system. He, he gives them... This place, they even set up camp in the shape of a cross around what is the center. And the center, inside the center, inside, inside, inside is the Holy of Holies. It actually represented the dwelling place of God amongst the people. Because he's trying to be close to his creation and to his people. And yet you read the rest of the Old Testament. And, and even, even, even when they go into the promised land, they're, they're, to, they're to go into the promised land. They're to wipe out the people that they defeat. God makes that rule hard fast. Why? Because he doesn't want them to start worshiping other gods, to intermarry with other people that don't have the same religious beliefs as them, that anything that they would do that would sin and pull them away from God again. And yet, that's what happens. They get in the promised land. They don't kill everyone off like they're supposed to. They don't obey God's law. And this is the result. And you go throughout the rest of the, the uh, Old Testament, and you, you, you see we're over here, and then we come back to God out of exile, back to exile over here, and we come back to God again because God's good, and he's faithful to us, and then we move again. And, and do you see a pattern here? When we're far from God, who moved? Yeah. We moved. And then you get to the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel accounts, the baby born in the manger in Bethlehem. His name, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus comes into the world. He says, I've got a plan. Let me choose some ordinary fishermen and become really good friends with them and hang out with them for three years. And for three years, the disciples experience 
God with us, Emmanuel. And you think, gosh, this is, this is awesome. I mean, God's got this, this plan here. You know, I'm not saying the disciples were perfect. I mean, we've read a couple of stories. You know, oh, who's going to sit in your right and left hand, God? You know, hey, hey, not so with you, not so with you. You know, God constantly pursuing this relationship with us to the point of sending Jesus Christ. And then we get through the life of Christ. We get here in the upper room. And we're reading this text that we're reading today in, in, in chapter 15 of John's gospel. And we see that Jesus is telling the disciples that you have got to remain in me. Now, if you read the whole entirety of it, in, in chapters 14, especially in chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I want you to know, I'm going away. I'm leaving. But it is good that I should leave. And I'm thinking the disciples are thinking, no, it's not good that you should leave. What are you doing? Yep. And, I, and he's told them several times, I'll be killed, be handed over, be crucified on the third day I'll rise. I mean, he's told them the whole game plan. They're just not getting it. And, and so he's telling them, it's good that I go because when I go, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when this Holy Spirit, the third part of the triune God, comes into the picture here, it's not going to be Emmanuel, God with us, it's going to be the Holy Spirit living in us. It is good that I go, Jesus says in some of those passages, because the advocate will come, the one that will advocate for you, intercede for you on behalf of God. The counselor with a capital C. The Holy Spirit's called the counselor. The counselor will come. The advocate will come. The helper with a capital H. The helper, Holy Spirit, will come. And God makes a way. But before that happens in the book of Acts, we have Jesus telling his disciples here, He's not saying to them, stay connected to me. Stay in proximity to me. See, this is how we live our life as Christians sometimes. I, I love Jesus. Church, Sunday morning, mm -mm, took me some communion, going to work, foul language, looking at stuff on my phone that I should not be looking at, not telling anybody, coming back, Wednesday night discipleship, Wednesday night discipleship, oh, Around this group, can't be Jesus around this group. No, they, 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 that's not acceptable. I've got to have some friends. got to act this way. Around my friends and, yeah. And then, oh, church, church on Sunday, going to be there. Can't wait for a good sermon. This is going to be great. And that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's not saying stay connected, stay in proximity, stay close to me. What did he say? He said, remain in me. That you would remain in me. And I think this is what Jesus was saying. Going to work, going to school, going to the baseball field, going to the football game, going with my friends. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Because apart from me, you can't do nothing. But if you will remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The fruit of a holy and changed life. The fruit of a life that would share their testimony and tell their story about Jesus and could change eternal destinations because they are remaining in Christ Jesus. A testimony of a changed life because they abide and remain in Christ Jesus. 
if you don't get anything else out of the message today, ask yourself this. Are you in Christ Jesus? And if you find yourself being that person that's scattered and that, hey, my, my sex life is not, <laughs> you know, there's a disconnect, or, you know, my relationships, my finances, my, my school, my friends, you know, no, no, Jesus Branches, what happens to those branches? Wither, die, cut off, thrown into the fire. But if you'll remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And you're right exactly where I want you to be. Now what's cool about this is Jesus, remember this upper room, right? John 15, he gives this illustration. Then he goes on and he, he institutes communion. Through the Passover, he takes the bread and he says, this now doesn't represent the the unleavened bread and all the things from Egypt from the Old Testament. This has new meaning now. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it and do this in remembrance of me. And this cup that's been a part of Passover, this cup now represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant I'm making with you. You take this and you drink of it, all of you. And you do this in remembrance of me. Now what's weird about it is in John chapter 6, about nine chapters before our text today, Jesus does this really hard teaching where he says this. If you want to have part of me, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Okay? And people thought that was weird. Okay? They thought that was really weird. It's like, you know, Jesus is a cannibal now. What is going on with him? It's interesting because in John chapter 6, verse 66, yeah, John 666, it says that many of Jesus' followers quit following him after this hard teaching. But even though it was before this was instituted, it was a foreshadowing. If you want to have a part of me, you remain in me, and I in you. Then when you take this bread, you eat of my flesh. When you take this cup, you drink of my blood. And you do this to remember that this is only possible because of what I have done. The sacrifice of Jesus. And church and those online, we are going to take this together now. And hopefully when you came in, you got those those cups of bread and juice when you came in. If you're with us online, hopefully you've made those arrangements at home. This is a reminder of the remain in me moment. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to take communion together. Please bow with me. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to be reminded physically, to take up these emblems in a physical way with super deep spiritual meaning, that we get to abide in you and remain in you because of what you have done through the work on the cross. And as we take your body and your blood through these emblems, I pray that we'd remember your sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, just in the spirit of Paul, as he said before a person takes of the bread of the cup, that they must examine themselves. Lord, that this would be our examination moment to lay out our heart and our life before you and say, hey, hey, Jesus, am I really remaining in you? And Lord, that you would, in just a mighty and supernatural way, 
redeem us, bring us back. Help us to remain in you so that we can be fruit bearers for your kingdom. And we know this is only possible because of what you have done for us through Calvary. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.